Oh, now they need to see my birth certificate. Hmm. Honey, where do we keep the birth certificates? Why? Buying socks. Socks. I'll check upstairs. It's easy to be unsafe online. You're the best. Now it's easy to help protect yourself. Norton 360 with LifeLock gives you device security, a VPN for online privacy, and identity theft protection. All in one. Opt in to cyber safety. Save 25% or more off your first year at norton.com slash news. If you are thinking about snacking on anything other than Tasty Cake this summer, you are simply Miss Cakin. A melted milkshake? Miss Cake. Crumbly, sticky s'mores? Bigger Miss Cake. Or worst of all, you resort to baking? If it's not Tasty Cake, it's a Miss Cake. Because nothing satisfies like a perfectly sweet butterscotch crimpet. Or rich and creamy chocolate peanut butter candy cake. Tasty Cake. Except no substitutes. On this episode of Trend Chat, we have Wade Miller talking about President Trump's first 100 days coming up. And if you want to contact us on social media, whether it's Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, it's all the same name, Trend Chat 24 7. And I also write for Politichicks. If you want to read some of my articles on Politichicks.com, just go to Politichicks.com slash author slash Brian Bledsoe. And speaking of Politichicks, they are on a book tour, Emory Morrell and uh, Morgan Brittany and Sonia Sasser, they're out doing a book tour for the, our new book. I, I say our because one of my articles uh, were is in the book about becoming a delegate at um, the Republican National Convention up in Cleveland. So, and the book, yeah, I don't want to forget to tell you the name. The name is Politichicks, A Clarion Call to Political Activism, which you can purchase on Amazon and it's also available at Barnes and Noble. So definitely encourage you to go get one of those copies. It's um it's a great book, uh, with plenty of contributions from a lot of the contributors of Politichicks, over three hundred pages. Um talking about all different subjects, whether it's healthcare, education, social issues and like I said, one of my articles, my my article is, is actually in the one about political activism. So uh, in that section. So, yeah. So, like I said, definitely check that out. And actually, you know, given that this is a Thursday episode and we're pretty much coming up on President Trump's first hundred days, you're actually getting two episodes to um whether you know, well, it's going to be Thursday today, and also another one on Friday. 
So, and then, well, the one on Friday would definitely be recorded because while while that's I guess uploaded, I will be at the NRA annual meeting. So uh, I'm gonna go ahead and record that probably later on tonight or something and upload it first thing Friday morning and something. But the first, um, well, this episode will be with Wade Miller with Heritage Action to talk about President Trump's first hundred days and and I guess how you know the thing how things are going with uh, as far as on I guess as far as just wondering is where we where we're going and how things can be improved upon. I mean, I think we all have seen as far as what happened with the Obama, uh, I guess the Obamacare replacement plan and how that kind of fell apart for obvious reasons. So we get into all of that. And also tomorrow we will have Rosie Johnson on to speak about President Trump's first hundred days as well. So those two episodes are coming up. Well, well, this well the one with Wade Miller you're hearing right now, but the one on Friday will be tomorrow. So and then depending on how many I guess interviews I have, uh, we might have a full week of <laughs> trend chat episodes, just depending on because I remember back at CPAC I didn't know I was gonna have as many interviews that I had, so we'll see and if you know will you'll find out probably on sunday i will post and i'll see how much i have and how much i need to edit and break up into how many days and i'll know for certain on sunday if it's going to be five days or not so before i get into the interview with wade miller i just will also want to mention about the founding project and as I mentioned on Tuesday, I know to people who may have listened to this program more than more than once. If you listen to it at least one time since now, you've heard me talk about the Founder Project. And now I have a, a few more details than the normal, I guess, the, I guess the normal description I would have. So. But I would go with the regular description first and just saying that they're bringing civics to citizens and educating citizens on the founding documents like Declaration of Independence and the Constitution. And just hopefully to get people more informed as far as what it means to be a a citizen here in the great state of the United States of America. And so, but now, an update is that they have launched their Facebook page and have started a, well, or starting a video series about civics. So, all that is coming up soon. And if you want to find their Facebook page, you can just search The Founding Project. And if you want to go to their Facebook group, it's also the same name. Just search for D Founder Project. All right. So I definitely wanted to make sure I, I get that out. I never, I don't want to forget 
in the midst of the interview and then after it's over then I forget because I get caught up in the in the points of the interview so so right now we're just gonna get started with um the interview we had with Wade Miller and you know um I'm a sentinel with Heritage Action and I, I definitely am I'm well informed, especially with Heritage Action, with all the things that they provide as far as just kind of understanding what's going on in Washington, because you have a lot of experts in the in the organization that uh, are well versed in knowing all the, I guess the the complex nature that I feel intentionally is put in to make you know everyday people who are working like your nine to five jobs that are not able to um just sit back and have to 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 decipher all of this legalese that tend to go into a lot of these um process the process of whether it's just making laws in general, so and Harris's action is def is you know they definitely are helpful in in sorting through all that. So so Wade Miller is the regional coordinator of South Central region of um I think um, if I remember I I don't remember I think if I asked him or not, but I think it's Texas and Oklahoma, but I don't know exactly. But I would say go to heritageaction.com and find out. So so here's our interview with uh, Wade Miller. Hello, this is Trent Chat. I'm your host, Brian Bledsoe, and we are pleased to have Heritage Action Regional Coordinator Joseph Wade Miller with us. How are you doing? I'm good. Thanks for having me, Brian. Yeah, and, um, I definitely come to you as far as whenever we want to talk about politics and just kind of get the goings on of what's going on up in Washington, D.C. and First, I want to ask you. So, what are, what are you is your opinion of President Trump's first hundred days? <clears throat> well, I mean, that's a, of course a huge topic, and I think you really have to break it down into sections here. On the regulatory front, I think that he's doing very well. So, he's put forward a series of executive orders to the degree that he is able to through executive orders to kind of roll back some of these unnecessary and burdensome regulations. He's not done. This is going to be a constant uh, theme of his presidency, identifying, stopping, rolling back regulations. Uh, Congress is also, to their credit, uh, although in, in many ways they're fumbling and not doing what they're supposed to be doing. One of the ways that Congress is succeeding right now is they're using the Congressional Review Act to stop a lot of the rules that, uh, and regulations that the Obama administration put through. And because of a procedural loophole, they didn't cross their I's and dot their T's, uh, you know, so to speak. Uh, and, and, you know, I, I, did, I said that backwards on purpose, of course. But <laughs> they, they messed up, and uh, they didn't submit their final reports. And until they submitted those final reports, uh, essentially the clock on uh, – finalizing those rules and regulations didn't start. And so what's happening now is Congress is now putting forward those reports. 
the 60-day clock starts, and then they almost immediately bring them down to the floor for a quick down, uh, up or down vote. It just simply takes it takes a simple majority, and so these are uh, being shot down uh, a little bit at a time, and over a, a longer period of time, the effects of that will be tremendous on the economy. It's it's a it's a, a kind of a nickel and dime your way in the right direction approach to improving the economy. So on the regulatory front, the rulemaking front, kind of reducing the impact of the federal government on the economy and on business, that's moving along fairly well. Uh, in other ways, uh, you know, there's some things that President Trump has had an opportunity to do that he has not yet done. For instance, there is some language out there regarding a very strong religious liberty executive order that would have addressed uh, the Johnson Amendment issues, the Russell Amendment issues, uh, and, and uh, uh, First Amendment Defense Act issues. Uh, and these are all just different variations of areas where we need better religious liberty protections regarding uh, how the federal government acts. And that has not gone forward. Maybe it will, maybe it won't, but that we'd like to see that moving forward. And then, uh, you know, there's been some other positive executive orders in terms of kind of stemming the tide of radical uh, uh, ideology into the country. There was a temporary halt on refugees and, and uh non-citizens uh, coming into the United States from several countries. Now, of course, the courts uh, acted outside of what I think is their uh, their uh, constitutional Article Three powers, uh, and, all, and, and it's important to note that these courts are also subservient to Congress, except for the Supreme Court, which is a constitutional entity. The rest of the federal courts are created by Congress. So essentially these courts have said that they – can overturn plenary powers granted to Congress in Article uh, One and, and uh, plenary powers granted to the President in Article Two, and so they basically halted those executive orders regarding refugees uh, from seven different countries, uh, and, and, and that we're kind of in a stalemate there. That was a good attempt by Trump, I think, to establish national sovereignty to address radical ideologies coming through our border. Uh, and that's not his fault that, that he's been halted on that front. That's the court's fault. Uh, and then in other areas, I think that uh, you're seeing some backing away, uh, uh, which I'm, I would, would like him not to do as, as president. So, for instance, the Export-Import Bank. This is something the President Trump campaigned against, but he's talking about putting someone in charge of it. And, you know, I think that there's no real point in putting someone in charge of something that you're planning on getting rid of now. In fairness, perhaps he's putting someone in charge of it to help wind it down. We don't know. We'll see how this plays out, but that's something we want to keep our eye on. And, and of course, the Export-Import Bank is just a federal government program that basically deals in uh, crony capitalism. It, and also, it's not fair in our free market uh, because it, it gives special government financing and loans to foreign entities that would compete with American companies. And so I think that this is this entire program is kind of contrary to the theme that that Trump ran on in his presidency about America first. And, and so more of my concern is that it's it's just anti-free market. Uh, it's picking winners and losers, and I just I dislike policies like that to begin with. And then in other areas, it's it's been a mixed bag. So for instance, you know we have to be fair, I think, and in some ways people are saying that on some issues he's flip-flopping. 
And I, I think it's fair to say that uh, he's backed away from some promises. So, for instance, he has not undone DACA, which is an amnesty program, uh, and he said he would. Uh, uh, you know, he said he would. And, but then in other cases, you have to be a little more fair. So he said that he would label China a currency manipulator. He's backed away from that. Now, some would say that's flip-flopping. I think that in context, if you look at this and you think to yourself, well, he's working with the Chinese uh, to directly be a deterrent to the threat of North Korea, I think it, it makes sense. I think that it's, it's okay in this case, given what he's trying to accomplish, that he's backed away from that promise for now. Uh, I, you know, I think that there's a greater good being served by negotiating with China. So, for instance, China sent 150,000 troops to the North Korean border. Uh, they've stopped coal shipments from North Korea. They are now putting a lot of pressure on North Korea, which could possibly prevent a major conflict in the region. So I think it makes sense, depending on what Trump is backing away from, what's the full context, why is he doing it. Uh, you know, some of the issues I might disagree with. On others, I think that the context kind of bears out that that may be the more logical approach. Uh, and then, you know, you know, we get into the health care, which has been, of course, uh, a big deal. And I think that in this case, initially, uh, I think that Trump misstepped. I think that he put too much faith in uh, Paul Ryan as leader, uh, Speaker of the House. Uh, I think that the, the bill put forward by Speaker Ryan was a very flawed bill, which would essentially not address the rising costs in health care premiums that American families are being hurt by. And I think that they didn't really think out the political dynamics of what would happen in two or three years if prices were still skyrocketing and how would that affect midterms and how would that affect the next presidency. But more importantly, it's just not good policy. It's, it's, it's not what the GOP has campaigned on for seven years. It's not what they promised uh, for seven years. It's not what they've indicated they would fundamentally undo. It's not in the Republican Party platform. And so I think that there's a, uh, there was a little bit of dissatisfaction that Trump was at first so willing to allow Paul Ryan to move forward with this. And, in fact, Trump himself put a lot of pressure on the House Freedom Caucus members who, to their credit, stood up to this health care bill. And in their minds, I think it's fair to point out, I think that they actually thought they were protecting the Trump administration and, and protecting him from this bill, which would have been an ambush on his next presidential run had this thing gone forward. And right now, I think that he's playing a role of being more of a facilitator and not leaning as hard as he had been on the House Freedom Caucus. I think that he is perhaps realize they may have had some very good points and is now encouraging the, the more liberal Republicans in the Republican Party, the members of the so-called Tuesday group, uh, to come to the table and, and start making a deal. And I think that uh, the House Freedom Caucus conservatives, you know, heroes like Jim Jordan, uh, Mark Meadows, Gary Palmer, Dave Bratt, they have been standing firm, I think, in the best interests of the American people, even given an immense amount of uh, pressure that has been brought to bear against them at first. And I think we're going to be in a better place in the long term, although I don't think that the final healthcare product will be perfect. Far from it, in fact. I think it will be much better than it would have been otherwise. And we still have an opportunity in the Senate to improve this even more, where I think that we once again have a pretty strong firewall with Mike Lee, Ted Cruz, Rand Paul, Tom Cotton, and perhaps two or three others who really want to see this bill improved. 
And I think it's important to remember that in 2015, when we were doing a trial run of this uh, reconciliation process to repeal Obamacare, the House put forward a very bad bill. In fact, Heritage Action key voted against it because it just barely touched Obamacare. It left a lot of it in place. And when it, it, it did pass, uh, unfortunately, but it, it went to the Senate, at which point Mitch McConnell, to his credit, and this isn't normal. Normally things get worse in the Senate. But in this case, the, the bill got much better. And we got, in the end of that, we actually ended up with the 2015 uh, Obamacare reconciliation bill, which was a pretty good foundation. It, it still didn't get rid of the Title I regulations, which is what the House Freedom Caucus is pushing for right now, uh, but it got rid of most everything else. And I think that if we went, if we use that language, included the Title I regulations, then I think every, uh, at least the conservatives would be happy. Uh, now, the liberal Republicans who don't want to get rid of Obamacare might not be. Uh, but right now, I think uh, Trump is being a positive voice in trying to uh, get a compromise done, even if he's not necessarily 100% on board with maybe everything that I would personally prefer. I think that he is being productive and encouraging discussions to take place. And I think that Mike Pence has been doing a good job of that as well. And then the last thing I'll mention in terms of the first 100 days is I think that, you know, overall it's a pretty good task. Now, I'm not going to get into specifics. There's some that I like more than others. There's some that I don't think are very good, and there's some that I think are great. Uh, but I think that you're seeing the, the, a fairly solid cabinet. I think that some, over time, the weaker ones will kind of, you know, work their way out, and they'll be replaced over time. The bigger problem that I have is that there's still hundreds of basically deputy positions that need to be appointed. And uh, until we get to that, until all of those positions are appointed, it's going to be really hard at the program level in all these federal agencies for the Trump administration to, to start ferreting out all of these uh, problematic government employees or perhaps even working against the interests of the Trump administration. Because, as you know, you can put someone in charge of the Department of Justice, but until you have people on the ground floor, you know, at lower positions that are in and amongst all of the employees, they're just not going to be able to figure out exactly who and, and, and is on our side and who isn't and who's working against us. And so I think one of the priorities needs to be for the Trump administration, you know, besides repealing Obamacare, besides tax reform, is getting this administration in place. And I hope that the Senate will, you know, kind of bust their butts to help get that done as well. And that could last well into the summer, unfortunately, which means that it will be, you know, another six to 12 months before they really get everything at the bureaucracy level kind of locked down and figured out and, and start moving in a, in a more efficient and productive, uh, you know, direction. Well, that's definitely uh, all that I needed to know. I mean, that's, that's exactly, you know, I asked the question exactly what I needed. And um, I also wanted to point out that heritage action, you know, is definitely is a, I guess you say a, a influence in all of these issues that are going on. So in case people maybe not, you know, don't know about Heritage Action, tell, tell us a little bit about about the program and all, all that in general. So the Heritage Foundation is a conservative public policy think tank. They 
worked a lot with Reagan. In fact, that's really where they became prominent. Uh, in fact, at Reagan's first cabinet meeting, he put a manual out in front of everyone, which was the Heritage Foundation product, and it was basically a blueprint for how do we get this government, you know, leaner and more efficient, and, and how do we gear everything towards a more limited government vision. And, you know, they got a lot of that put in place, and I think that the, the Reagan – uh, recovery was quite successful, and it's not that, you know, Heritage doesn't take full credit for that, but I think that they definitely played, a, uh, uh, you know, a, a big part in helping move that along, and ever since then, they've been quite prominent in the conservative movement and in, in public policy circles. Uh, that isn't to say that, you know, they're always right uh, or that they're always, you know, that, you know, some, you know, we're going to go into dead ends and figure out that some ideas are better than others, and when we realize that, we, you know, move on and, and, and correct ourselves. Uh, but right around the time that Obamacare passed, it was very clear on the ground inside the Capitol that the conservative movement was just being outmatched and outgunned by all of the different special interest groups, all the lobbyists that were in there. And that's just something that we couldn't compete with. You know, we can put forward a policy paper but when an industry group or a union or a pharmaceutical company or an insurance company comes out and says, you know, hey, we have, you know, a 1,000 employees in your district, and it's really important that, uh, you know, you support this or else we might, you know, move our plant somewhere else or we've got X amount of uh, uh, supporters in your district, that's just really hard to compete with. And so Heritage decided it was time to, you know, uh, move forward and find a better way to get these things done. And that's when Heritage Action was kind of dreamt up. And our focus is accountability, and we also have a grassroots component. So we have Heritage Action Sentinels in our, through our Sentinel program in every congressional district across the country. Uh, we, we work closely with them to make sure that they know what's going on uh, with Congress, what's being voted on, whether legislation is good or bad. Uh, you know, make sure they understand the process. Because for years, what was happening is members of Congress were hiding behind the complexities of process and procedure to uh, disguise what was really going on. And so, uh, you know, everyone at Heritage Action is quite familiar with uh, congressional procedure and process and parliamentarian and rules. And, and so we can kind of cut through all the spin and let people know what's actually going on so that they can then uh, – re-engage their members of Congress and their staff and let them know that they know what's going on or, you know, to support them. There's a lot of good conservative members out there, and they need our help and our support. And so that's what we're here to do, uh, and that's mainly facilitated through our Sentinel program and through our scorecard, where we rate every single member of Congress at HeritageAction.com. You can go just click on the scorecard and see how your member is voting, and you can break it down by each vote, and each vote is explained, and we explain why it was a good or bad vote. And so then you can, you know, there's a lot of, unfortunately, there's a lot of Republicans who talk a good game when it comes to being pro-life. Uh, they're very pro-Second Amendment. Uh, you know, they talk about fiscal responsibility. And so a lot of voters just naturally assume, well, they say the right thing, so they must be fairly conservative. And then they'll go to their scorecard and see that they've got a 40%, and they'll see that they voted to, you know, uh, fun Planned Parenthood or, uh, you know, any number of different things which are directly contrary to the things they may say on their uh, campaign trails. And so that's, that's what we're here to do. We're here to shine a light on D.C. 
and to be a resource for conservatives on the ground who are trying to bend uh, Congress our direction. Yeah, you know, say a more conservative direction. It's funny because when you mentioned the uh, the scorecard, you know, you have some Republican members of Congress that are lower than Democrats or I guess independents, socialists like Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders, like Republicans. Oh yeah, that are, that are below them. Right, right, and these you know these people are uh, people who run on the Republican Party platform but are outvoted by Democrats. It's it's, uh, it's absurd. Uh, but it's it's even worse, uh, you know, if you're in a in a Democrat district, let's say it's a D plus three district, and you've got like a 25 or 30 percent on our scorecard, and you're a Republican in New York, you know, that's not I'm not saying that's okay. What I'm saying is that I understand in the context of why they couldn't maybe be like Ted Cruz. That doesn't mean they have to be as bad as they are, or or that they have to go out of their way to attack conservatives. But there's a certain reality here that we understand. If you're in a deep, you know, a Democrat plus three district, uh, you're not going to be as good as Ted Cruz or Mike Lee or Rand Paul. I think the bigger problem, and certainly this is an issue in Texas, is almost every single one of the Republican-held seats here are heavily Republican. In fact, I think that only one would be considered a swing district, and the other 90% are heavily Republican, meaning that there's really no chance that a Democrat could ever win that seat, uh, you know, except for some statistical fluke. And and the problem here is that a lot of these members are in the 60% or the 65% or the 50% range on our scorecard, and there's just no excuse for that. If you're a Republican in the state of Texas or if you're a Republican in Oklahoma and you don't have an 85 90%, there's a problem. There's a disconnect between what you think the purpose of the Republican Party is and what your voters think. And the problem is that a lot of voters just don't know. And so that's why we're trying to get out there and cut through the spin and make sure they know exactly what their their members are voting for and that we need to vote for them based on, excuse me, we don't do campaigns, but I would urge people to vote for their member based on their voting record and not based on their campaign rhetoric. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's definitely – and, and talking about the scorecard, it just I was just thinking about that, and that, that was just so disheartening to, to see that. So, but now, um, now something that actually just happened today that you had a, a a group of protesters going to the Heritage Foundation in Washington D.C. Now I don't know all the details about it, but do you you, you know anything about what what was going on there? Yes, this was a kind of a organized draft top. Uh, you know, funded uh, protest to protest against the Heritage Foundation in opposition to President Trump's budget. Uh, And I think that the reason that they are targeting Heritage is because they are aware that in terms of budget uh, crafting at the executive branch level, Heritage does have a lot of influence. Now, we we do have people in the West Wing that, that were former Heritage staffers uh, we don't have ultimate say. We can't just snap our fingers. President Trump has a lot of influences on him. But Heritage is one of those influencers, and I think that we do have some people in the West Wing. Uh, and, and more importantly, if you look at uh, the, the person that President Trump picked for uh, director of the Office and Management and Budget, which is Mick Mulvaney. He's a former congressman who was a 
House Freedom Caucus member. Well, Mick Mulvaney brought on Russ Vogt, uh, and Russ Vogt was the political director at Heritage Action. And so when you're hearing things about President Trump's budget, that is something that has been put together by Mick Mulvaney and Russ Vogt. And I think that people understand that Heritage had a very big say in the, you know, what areas of government would be uh, spending cuts, uh, what areas would be spending uh, increases, you know, uh, whether that be defense or cutting out some of the non-essential programs in order to make sure that we're getting uh, to the more important uh, essential government programs and we're already spending more than we bring in. Uh, but nevertheless, they, they don't like it. And so they came over to Heritage and started protesting against us, uh, I guess based on the premise that if we don't provide everyone in the, in the country everything that they could possibly want and need from government, then somehow we don't like people or we don't like children or we don't like old people, which is, of course, you know, just the, the tired old socialist argument. Now, it is a great budget. As a conservative, I think it's probably one of the best budgets ever been submitted by a presidential administration. The problem is that Congress, you know, uh, Speaker Ryan and, and uh, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell will likely ignore large portions of it, which is unfortunate because this is a great budget. This would put us on a path to addressing a lot of our fiscal issues. Uh, but we just don't have a Republican Party leadership right now that's interested in fiscal responsibility. They're more interested in the status quo, uh, making deals with Democrats, and that's really unfortunate. You know, and that was, you know, that was apparent when we come to the whole you know, the Obamacare replacement plan. Exactly what you're saying. They they're not really interested in repealing Obamacare, and that's kind of you. We're seeing that right now. Right. Yeah, the, the final product is something that essentially doesn't fully repeal Obamacare. Well, not the final product. The product that is, is before us so far, and this may change if the House Supreme Caucus can get a deal done. But the product that we saw essentially just kind of went a different route in some cases of how Obamacare had done it. They just did it slightly differently. And in other cases, just left huge portions of Obamacare in place. In fact, I was talking earlier about Title I regulations. If you go look at Obamacare, Title I is the very first section of Obamacare. The, the plan that was brought forward by Paul Ryan left Title I. And by the way, this is the part of Obamacare that has the biggest impact on the cost of your health care, and, 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 it, and it is directly responsible for increasing costs. They left that entirely in place. They didn't even touch it. And it's, it, I mean, it's almost impossible to say you have repealed Obamacare if the core regulatory infrastructure of Obamacare is still in place, then that's just unfortunate. Uh, that's just where our Republican Party is at right now. It is not really intent on upholding their promise, unfortunately. Yeah, well, I definitely appreciate you coming on with, with us right um, at, well, at this time, and, and you definitely gave plenty of information that I needed and hopefully that I guess President Trump and the Congress in general just um, I still continue just to do better and just make sure um, as far as, as far as doing, doing just basically, basically just, just doing, doing what, what was promised promise in the campaign, campaign whether, it's whether it's President Trump, Trump or, or, or Congress. Congress. Congress so so uh, uh, definitely, definitely appreciate it yeah, oh, yeah. Go, ahead. Oh, go ahead 
No, I, I, I was just going to say, say amen to that. Right, 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 would like to see, you know, more <laughs> happening. I mean, like I say, it is only a hundred days, but you definitely need to. That's a. It was a lot of promises made during the campaign, and like I said, not only from President Trump, but also from members of Congress as well. So, Heritage Action and you know other groups as well. Just make sure we just keep them all accountable. Uh, to those promises so that's it for today tomorrow we will have rosie johnson to talk about president trump's first hundred days as well and right now we are in georgia we are right outside atlanta we'll probably be checking in on uh in our hotel i guess around probably one o'clock or something but so on Friday, while you're, whenever you're listening, but on the Friday episode, we'll upload that. And while we're at the convention, uh, and as I said before, I'm definitely looking forward to this and being my first NRA annual meeting and going, just being a part of all that. I'm Really excited and ready to go, ready to get there now, actually. So, so I definitely appreciate you listening in. And as I've said many times before, if you like it, just you know, subscribe on iTunes, Google Play. I don't think I mentioned that in a while, you know, but Trend Chat is on Google Play and iTunes. So, go on, you know, whether it's on there or like it on Spreaker or wherever or you know share it we appreciate everything as far as just getting the show out there as much as possible and you know we definitely appreciate everyone that's been listening so far so well until tomorrow which is a little different but we'll be back tomorrow with um rosie johnson and until then We will chat with you later. Guys, as we get older, we all start to notice minor changes in sexual performance. It happens, but you can stop Mother Nature. Whether you're just starting to develop erectile dysfunction symptoms 
or are suffering from chronic ED, call Metro Men's Health. Skip the pills and injections. They're only temporary and lose effectiveness over time. Metro Men's Health treats the root cause of ED, lack of blood flow, so it works long term. Metro Men's Health uses the most advanced and clinically proven wave therapy on the market to actually repair aging blood vessels and restore them to a younger you. Get your spontaneity and your confidence back with safe, effective treatment from Metro Men's Health. Visit MetroMensHealth.com or call 833-687-0700. Don't let ED get worse. Call Metro Men's Health today. 833-687-0700. 833-687-0700. Guys, as we get older, we all start to notice minor changes in sexual performance. It happens. But you can stop Mother Nature. Whether you're just starting to develop erectile dysfunction symptoms or are suffering from chronic ED, call Metro Men's Health. Skip the pills and injections. They're only temporary and lose effectiveness over time. Metro Men's Health treats the root cause of ED, lack of blood flow, so it works long-term. Metro Men's Health uses the most advanced and clinically proven wave therapy on the market to actually repair aging blood vessels and restore them to a younger you. Get your spontaneity and your confidence back with safe, effective treatment from Metro Men's Health. Visit MetroMensHealth.com or call 833-687-0700. Don't let ED get worse. Call Metro Men's Health today. 833-687-0700. 833-687-0700.